Hi everyone, thanks for joining us again today. I'm Ramina Anach. I'm Margaret Jackson. And I'm Matt Sawyer. Um, and today's episode is all about planetary health. Now, as doctors, we're really good at jargon. We use loads of complicated terms like um, climate healthcare, planetary health, eco-friendly healthcare, greener practice. But what do these all mean? Now, we're going to talk about planetary health today. So, Margaret, can you sort of give us an overview as to what that term means? It's really difficult, actually, to describe, isn't it, Romina? Um, it, planetary health is a fairly new term um, assigned to something that we've known about for a long, long time. Mm. And that is that what is going on in the on the planet, uh, in our environment, is intimately linked with human health. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's about the health of the human population and the state of the natural systems on which we depend. I don't know, Matt, if you could add to that. Yeah, so I, I think that there was this, uh, there's this thing called ecosystem services, which is a terrible <laughs> piece of jargon. But really what it means is all of the things that the planet provides, and it provides clean air, it pro provides water filtration, it provides soils for things to grow, it provides stuff that is grown, whether it be fruits or trees or, or whatever else. And so the planet actually does a huge amount of things for us. It regulates the climate, it protects from, from flooding, for example. Mm. Um, and actually, when, we, when I think about planetary health, I think about all of these different aspects and how they're being harmed by the things that we do. Yeah. We as mankind do. And it's how can we uh, put some of those things right? And some people use the analogy of the human body, that actually we need a liver and we need some lungs and we need a heart and we need some kidneys. We need all of these bits to work. And they're all complicated. And the way they interact with each other is complicated. Mm. And so we actually think, we some people um, sort of term planetary health in a similar sort of way, that we've got lots of things that are going on that, are, that can keep the, the, the natural living world alive, as long as we don't cause it too much harm and push it too far and stop it from working and pushing it over, over a tipping point. So I think it, it, for me, planetary health is all of the things that, uh, that the planet provides for all of the species that live on the planet and the harm that's being done to them. And I think as well, planetary health is there's something about it being a lens through which we see everything that we do in medicine rather than it being a speciality in and of itself. I love that description. It's so it, it really encompasses, I think, the the, the completely overarching mm. nature of, of of what we're doing, this this greener practice that we're trying to sort of share with you all. Um, and I, I don't know how about you two, but I often find when I'm at work, um, people sort of say, so what's your special interest? You know, uh, you know, is it high, high blood pressure, hypertension or maybe, um, you know, kidney disease? And I sort of when I'm trying to explain that actually it's, it's greener practice, it's it's everything. Thing. it's a, a piece of everything um it's sometimes really difficult to get that idea across but um hopefully we'll be able to explain that to you a little bit more here and it also causes harm to uh, uh to, to bits of the natural living world as well so there was a, a thing which said it doesn't just cause lung disease in uh, air pollution doesn't just cause lung disease in humans but in squirrels as well and yeah. it's one of these that you kind of forget sometimes that we're not just harming humans doing some of our activities but we're poisoning 
you know, the natural living world for, for all of the other species on it as well. Yeah, and I suppose as a healthcare system, we're now understanding more about how, you know, our buildings and our, you know, our prescribing and the operations we perform, they all have their own carbon footprint. You know, our buildings uh, run on power. Of course they do. You know, when we prescribe, the medicines have a carbon footprint. You know, operations require a huge amount of resources. And so all the stuff we do in, in, as, as doctors is contributing to the climate crisis and the climate crisis is impacting back on the NHS. So we're in this cycle. And it, I suppose it's about what you just said, Matt, isn't it? We're trying to work out how we can reduce our NHS's impact while still making sure we give patients really high quality care. I think it's the patient outcomes that, is, that yeah. has to be number one. But yeah. it's also knowing that if we keep practising healthcare the way that we do, we're harming patients, which is the opposite of what Oh, we went into the yeah, we're doing exactly. Yeah, and I often uh, say to people, so in primary care, what do you think is our um, the biggest contributor to carbon emissions of, of the different activities that that we that we do? And people say, oh, waste or buildings or, but it's none of these. Of course, it's prescribing. Yeah, that's our greatest contributor towards carbon emissions, which is kind of presents us with a fantastic opportunity because we all know that overprescribing is a tremendous problem and causes clinical harm um, as well as environmental harm. So tackling, reducing prescribing, uh, encouraging deprescribing, looking at alternatives to prescribing, uh, this is going to lead to clinical as well as environmental uh, positive impacts. As so many of the things that we will be talking about in these podcasts, um, there are multiple win-wins in this discussion. And I think that although I'm particularly interested in carbon greenhouse gas emissions, I can't forget all of the other impacts. And there's a number of planetary boundaries that are uh, that are in place. And if we exceed them, we start to accelerate more damage. And one of the, uh, the references, one of the books that um, I would recommend and we'll put in the show notes is uh, Development Economics by, by uh, Kate Rawworth. And she talks about other planetary boundaries. So it's things like ozone depletion. It's things that occur in the atmosphere, in, in, the, uh, in the air. It's chemical pollution. It's plastic pollution. It's uh, things like acidification of the oceans. We know that the oceans have been able to soak up a lot of um, a lot of heat that is being generated. Uh, they've got a lot of plastics that, uh, that have been dumped in it. But there's only a finite limit as to how much it can it can accept. But it's not not just marine uh, and out of sea, but it's freshwater. You know, if we keep extracting more fresh water than uh, than there is rain or that can replenish it, we end up in situations of drought and how that affects the foods that are grown and the foods uh, availability that we can eat. So actually, there's multiple planetary boundaries that uh, we need to be aware of. And there's some places that are doing things about it. So in in Holland, for example, they have put a limit to the amount of nitrogen that can be used and released into the into the waterways because they recognise that there is a limit, there is a, a boundary which if they cross it actually it causes persistent harm. And then there's things like forever chemicals, you know, and as the name suggests they're going to be around forever so that, you know, there is nothing in the natural world that will uh, destroy or break down some of these things. So actually I can talk about carbon until the cows come home, but it's also knowing that there's all sorts of these other things as well. And some of the actions that uh, that we can take and that we hear about will affect some of these other areas as well and reduce plastic pollution or 
ocean acidification or, or other things as well. It, that made me think, Matt, of um, even last year when we saw on the news all the problems with sewage being pumped into our waterways and, you know, the immense, I mean, that's not even all, some of the hazardous chemicals that you were referring to, but, um, you know, the, the way our water is treated, is supposed to be treated, had such a massive impact on so many people who want to try and enjoy the the outdoors and our blue spaces, mm-hmm. um, which we'll come on to in, in, in another of our episodes. But, um, you know, we're wanting to encourage people to get active and do things like wild swimming and um and enjoy nature and actually we've got this barrier up against us of actually it's not safe it's not clean for people to do that and you can understand why people are hesitant to go swimming and and do things like that if they're worried about the safety of the water it's also things that you know so one of the problems is that hospitals the way that water is often treated is through dilution yeah. Well, that's not a treatment. It's there's still the same amount of <laughs> stuff that there was in the first place. It's just less concentrated, mm. which sounds like it might be okay until, of course, it gets out into the ocean and then starts accumulating in in the food stuff. So, you know, if filter feeders like mussels, for example, are filtering out lead or arsenic or other heavy metals, for example, it starts to accumulate. And guess what we eat? You know, the, these these you know species and these animals um, that, that have accumulated, deliberately accumulated this stuff because of the way that they feed. And of course that then goes back into us. And and it's it's sometimes forgetting that all of these things are connected and we can't cause some damage over there and not expect it to uh, to affect us here. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think that it's uh, it's just recognizing that this is a, a big complicated uh, system that uh, that interacts with itself and it's working out what the the best way to get outcomes for patients and practices are without causing that harm at the same time. And I think we are beginning to see the impacts of the climate crisis coming home, aren't we, mm. to us in North Yorkshire. We've seen some significant flooding um, and repeated flooding, which has tremendous mental health impacts on, on the population. Um, we're seeing changes in disease distribution. We're seeing that food one of the reasons that food prices um, have increased so much is because of drought and or flooding in other parts of the world uh, impacting food distribution, food growing food distribution. We've seen how, or we see every day in our practices, how climate change disproportionately impacts people. It's always the people who are um, poorer or lacking um access to services already are disproportionately disadvantaged and you know there's this is a massive political issue and when when you go into training to be a doctor you're sort of told that you're not really supposed to discuss politics with your patients in case it could offend them and actually we've we've had to completely turn that on its head because it is political medicine is political now um, the climate crisis is hugely political and we're completely dependent on um, strong leadership not just here in the UK but around the world to make big decisions um, that will impact on all of us and as Margaret just said um, mainly on people who are already disadvantaged and who are who look set to become even more so. Absolutely. Those who, who can least afford to to, um, to be affected are the ones who are most. Yeah. If you can't move away because you can't afford it or you don't have the mobility or you're too old or too young um, it's such a frustrating mm. um, uh, position that you know people find themselves in through absolutely no fault of their own and frankly this these are people who contribute less 
to carbon emissions than than people who are very well resourced um, and who are able to take the steps to to avoid the consequences. So there's a profound inequality. And I think that that is absolutely um, galling, really. And, and yeah. I think that, you know, certainly personally, I suspect that all of us and, and people who are listening, you know, we went in to try and make people better, you know, reduce illness, reduce disease, you know, improve life expectancy, improve quality. Um, and actually knowing that uh, people are being harmed through no fault of their own. So one of the things is, you know, people are, uh, who are doing their GCSEs who are being affected by air pollution. Yeah. You know, they get the worst GCSE results if they live in areas of high air pollution. Well, at 16, you're not the ones who are creating the air yeah. pollution, but you're the ones who are going to get a lifetime of, uh, of impact as a result of it. Well, where, where is that ever going to be fair? Yeah, and you know, the heat waves from last summer as well, yeah. causing massive disruption in schools. Um, you know, teachers are having to move uh, young people into sports halls and, um, you know, the massive amendments to timetables. And it's hugely disruptive to their learning. And Well, and in hospitals last year, I mean, heat waves were affecting those who were already ill and already in hospitals. Um, and there weren't enough air conditioning units to look after both staff and patients and, uh, and the drugs being stored in pharmacy. So actually where are you going to put the air conditioning units well you can't protect all of them and so you give it to the patients absolutely but then the staff suffer yeah. well that's not a good situation to be in having people collapsing because of uh, heat exhaustion um so you it is it's that inequality of, you know those who are already unwell are going to be more affected than, than others and that i think just goes against everything that we uh, felt we signed up to in the first place so I think it's also worth saying that in 2022, the extreme heat events uh, were associated with an excess of 3,000 deaths. Um, and I kind of feel that's quite a depressing statistic. Um, but actually, I mean, I think that what we can do in our practices today, this week, this month, we've got to recognise the co-benefits, that we're doing things to help our patients, to help our practices and our practice staff, but we can do the things that help the planet simultaneously, help the natural living world. So for me, this isn't a doom and gloom, this is a positive. Mm -hmm. This is the, mm -hmm. the things that we do actually going to have multiple benefits, co-benefits uh, far beyond um, uh, and far greater influence than, uh, than perhaps we first think. So I think we have to stay positive, mm -hmm. uh, positive with this. Thank you very much for uh, for listening and we will see you again on the next podcast.